welcome to episode 130, towards the ends of the 130s, like 138, 139, who can say? You can say after you look at the episode when it's posted and see the number that I've looked up since then. Anyway, it's Emily. I'm here with Christine. I am here. And on this episode, we have a special guest star. I'm going to play some special guest star sounds there. Do, 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 do. I don't know Boing. why I picked that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't actually know how to do sound effects. I did not watch enough Police Academy, apparently. But with us today is the one and only Abby Denson. Welcome, Abby. Hi, really happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. Uh, Abby, you've been a listener for a while. I got to meet you in person once at an Alamo show, which was very exciting. The um, Alamo show. Oh, I don't, which, do you remember which one? It wasn't Kevin Geeks out. Uh, I, I know I saw you at the Christmas one of the Christmas ones, but it's all a blur. I've been to various. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sorry I asked such a controversial. Let's face question. it. No, it's okay. I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, a Christmas show at Kevin Geeks out. That's... I might have uh, went and talked to you afterwards. When in doubt, that's a good one to guess. I feel like we're at this point. We're still not responsible for remembering anything in the 21st century <laughs> in terms of specifics. Right? Like, we can say, like, oh, yeah, it was 1993, but none of us are ready to say it was 2014. Like, no, no, no. I guess actually I said that because that's the one date I remember, which is my anniversary. So that one I've got. But anything else is, is, is you know, we're, we're still living it. Right? We're living it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Abby, we're very excited to have you. Uh, in addition to being a wonderful listener, which is obviously a very important skill, uh, you were also an, an author, Yes, I'm a cartoonist, and I have, uh, I don't know if I should talk about my new book at this point, but maybe I should, but... Uh, I would love to hear about your new book. Sure, sure. So I, I'm a comic artist and a cartoonist. This, my new book, Kitty Sweet Tooth, I have written the story, and I'm collaborating with the Japanese artist, Udo Maru, and she's a total genius. I, I had randomly met her at a bar in Tokyo, uh, which was a Suspiria-themed bar, like, based after the horror movie. Everything about so, that story right there is pretty much the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. So we met in 2013 when I randomly was there. I, or maybe not that random, because, like, I have previously done two guidebooks about Japan nice. um, in comic form that I drew. That's Cool Japan Guide and Cool Tokyo Guide. So those are the kind of recent things I did. But this is my first uh, kind of major children's book. And, then, and it's a collaboration. And it's, I've been very lucky because she's a genius. And also we're friends and have very similar aesthetic and feelings about movies. <laughs> so we're 100% on the same page making this. So and I hope I think it might appeal to your listeners and everyone who loves movies. And that's what's so cool about it is it's, you know, it's definitely aimed at, I guess, I don't know what your age group is, but it's it's a kid's book. But it is about movies. Yeah, so it's about a cute purple cat, and she manages a movie theater that uh, is her grandfather's movie theater, which uh, they renovate it, and he uh, gives her a trial sh shot to be the manager. She collaborates on menus with a witch and a brilliant scientist, a not mad scientist, but a brilliant scientist. <laughs> and Important distinction. Unfortunately, though, yeah, unfortunately, it causes the, the food to sometimes go crazy and explode over the theater. Various magical and scientific things happen, and they have to resolve those problems. Meanwhile, she is pairing the food with cult movies 
that uh, I had to devise the movies and make up the movies based on certain genre movies. So. Well, and that's what's also really fun, too, is when you, like, you, you do that cute thing where you have, um, like, film awnings and you can see different titles. And I'm like, oh, I want to see that movie. I want to see that movie. So you have this combination of, like, the 80s movie popcorn, but for kids and with cats. Yes. Yes, I think I would say if people like cats, movies, and sweets, like, this movie's for you. If you like witches, it could be mad scientists, but, you know, if you like cute animals, magic and science and friendship. And I think it's good for all ages, but it's it's in the 6 to 10-year-old range, technically. You know how for publishing, they must market it to different ages. But I always feel like every time I do any book, I it's very hard to define the age. I just say anyone who likes it. <laughs> Well, it's as you're saying that it like dawned on me. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I have I have two nieces who are don't don't quote me on this, who are seven and fifteen, and wildly different age groups and different types. But my fifteen year old niece is an artist and loves actually like does cosplay and has an Instagram account that I don't understand because it's all like Japanese anime references. I'm like, oh. Uh-huh. Uh, this is like, why wasn't I thinking? I, I am ordering two copies so they don't have to fight over it. So, and that's just them. And I know my brother, who is their father, who's a movie guy, is going to also find it really charming. So you're right. It is wide range. Um, but anybody, I think, with kids in their life and who like color and cats and movies, all of those things. Yeah, and I think people who like Japanese pop culture would be oh, yeah. interested. Uh, Udo Maru, the illustrator, did some like really interesting uh, genres things like she there was a restaurant based on Ultraman monsters in Tokyo it was a pop-up restaurant but it was the monsters as cute girls and she designed Ah. all of the and uh, I got to go there it was really cool but she's involved with a lot of interesting stuff there and she does um, animation designs for uh, j-pop videos and things very cool uh, so we will include a link to where you can get all this stuff because it's not out yet, right? It's April 6th. That's right. April 6th, but available for pre-order. So awesome. you, know, you can do that, but it's at any major bookstore, but uh, April 6th is the actual date. Fantastic. So we'll include a link later, all of that good stuff. And it's also what I, what I like too is as much as the movies we're covering today are not like directly related to that, they really, I feel like they fit in the spirit of your book in different ways. Um, so if you can tell us the movies we're watching today, Abby. Yes, it's Voyage of the Rock Aliens yeah. and Speed Racer. Yeah. So 1984, uh, Voyage of the Rock Aliens, a movie I had somehow never heard of, which is just bizarre to me. Once we get into it, you'll see why. Uh, and Speed Racer, which everybody else in the world had seen but me, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Voyage of the Rock Aliens, uh, well, I don't know if we're going to get into the depth of talking about it right now, but uh, it was one that I had heard about and I was trying to find for quite a while. Uh, I had first read about it in John Waters' book, Crackpot. Nice. Uh, because he had an interview with Piazzadora in there, and then I was thinking, this sounds interesting. And it was probably more than 10 years ago I heard about it, and I could only find some YouTube clips of some of the musical bits. Weird. Yeah. And, and then... Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no, keep, keep <laughs> diving on in. And um, so I was reading about it and I found the YouTube clips of the songs and I was like, this looks good, like something I like, but I still couldn't find the movie. And then finally, ultimately ended up on Amazon Prime 
in November, and I was like, I can't believe it. <laughs> Perfection. So we're going to talk about that one first. Um, so for those of you who, I, I mean, I think everybody should just listen to this, because if you're like me, you've never heard of it. Um, we will, at some point, you'll hear music, and then that will be the cue that we're going into Speed Racer. Uh, but Voyage of the Rock Aliens, Aliens, Aliens. Uh, Christine, you had also never seen this, is that right? Correct. I had never seen it. Shocking, because it feels so made for you. Are you being are you being sarcastic? I am. I was really but, worried. But see, this is the thing. One of my favorite movies of all time is a musical. It's fan of the paradise. paradise. Yeah, you're right. So when, oh. it's, yeah. when it's done well, when it's done in a way that I like, let's say, let's not say done well. Let's say it, it's done like <laughs> how I like it done. I am a big fan of musicals. I like music as a an accompaniment. I think what what you've observed I don't like is the into the woods, for lack of a better example, style of musical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I can't get into. <laughs> well, by that, do you mean the sort of operatic everything is sung? Or Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a big component of it. I also don't really love like hey i'm walking over here like i I got it i see you you're i got it you don't have to sing that part but i like when it's like big concepts yeah scott pilgrim is like another one of my favorite movies (laughs) big concepts and here's a song that makes you feel a way about it and i'm like cool thanks i like that Okay, this is this is making me feel good because i was worried that no 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 I I don't like okay so this is the third time we're doing one of these like hey pick some stuff episodes and this is the third time I went I don't know and it's the third time I was like huh people really get it don't they They (laughs) because I've liked every single movie everyone has picked. Oh, that's great. And not in like a kumbaya way. Like, I'm genuinely like, wow, thank you for bringing this to me. Thank you for introducing me to this. So. I am so glad to hear that. I mean, obviously to me, what this movie felt like, uh, it felt like a slightly higher budgeted, you know, if you've ever been to a karaoke bar and you cue up a song and then behind you, there's the video. It felt like this was an, an entire hour and a half of just videos that should be playing during karaoke and I don't have a problem with that at all but I was concerned that it wouldn't work for you so I'm very happy about that yeah it it, it worked I would say good that's actually a really good way to describe it especially the finale I think oh yeah but uh yeah it's amazing yeah it's a good time so who wants to give a synopsis of this movie not it Oh. No, I'm not it either. Ah. I mean, I don't. I, okay. I guess I mean I know the general beats, but maybe there's in- intricacies I didn't pick up on. I didn't prepare a synopsis, but I can try. Let's hear it. Oh, we don't. I don't ever prepare. Nope. Okay. Nope. Okay. So in the so there are aliens in a guitar-shaped spaceship that is run by a robot, and he awakes them because he's on a search for rock and roll on a planet that has rock and roll and when he finds it which is earth he uh turn he takes the aliens and awakens them and we'll talk about how later and uh they get sent down to earth and um they come across uh what's her, uh, pia Zador's name is Didi. pia Zador plays Zadora plays Didi, and her boyfriend frankie who's craig sheffer my that. gosh that bone structure <laughs> and um 
we're immediately in sort of like uh, a beach musical movie, which is about rock and roll. And so it becomes kind of a battle of the band situation. They're in a town that has like a toxic lake. Uh, the town's called Spielberg. Um, <laughs> there's also a random uh, chainsaw murderer. Played by uh, Michael Berryman from The Hills Have Eyes. Yes, uh, Ruth Gordon is the sheriff. Yes, she is. <laughs> Among all of this insanity, there's a lot of so- singing and dancing and uh, a very happy ending. <laughs> yeah, this, it, it's a, I don't know, how the hell did I never hear about this movie until you brought it to me? Because it, 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 it really is one of those, like a, like a shock treatment or like a... Yeah, like the apple. The apple, yeah, that you're like, oh yeah, this... But the thing is, like, I've seen the apple. I was so excited to watch the apple. And man, the apple ain't no Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Like, this is so much more fun. (laughs) Stuff happens the entire time. The music is really good. Um, I mean, it ranges in kind of, there's a whole lot of styles going on. Like, because you get very sort of Devo. You get 50s beach movie. You get, like, 80s love ballad. You get everything. Uh, And it's just, it's not boring at all like it's stupid it's uh cheap it's all of these things but it was so much fun and the apple yeah. it's like the first 10 minutes of the apple are great and then it just keeps going on for another 90 minutes so i think if people like grease too or they like the apple they'll yeah. really like it. that's what i'd probably recommend and also boy and also uh, phantom of the paradise definitely mm-hmm. uh, but i'd say like the opening when i watched it just when you see the guitar smashing <laughs> through the titles that say Voyage of the Rock Aliens and an explosion of glitter going everywhere, and you're like, oh, I'm home. And yes. <laughs> well, and then the the actual opening really confused me because it opens with a music video. Um, that's It's Jermaine Jackson and Pia Zadora. Mm-hmm. And... It, what's weird is it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And I guess initially the plan was that was going to be just the post credit sequence. They were going to throw in this music video. But instead they open on it. So it's it, it like, I mean, again, this movie doesn't make sense. So it's okay. But it was kind of jarring. Like, oh, this is about her. She's like a white girl from in California. And she falls in love with a black guy. And this is going to be this story. And then you're, like, there's no more black people in the movie after that. So... Uh- yeah, I took the opening video to be kind of like the 80s sort of Star Wars-esque, like, have you ever seen uh, that video Loverboy? Um, uh, you know, it's like uh, that Billy Ocean video, but basically it's just a sort of Star Wars uh, Tatooine-esque kind of, I thought it was just like a sci-fi video that was yeah. after that. Well, and I- then they were, like, we had like a gang fight, not <laughs> unlike Beat It sort of. True. And then, and the music, I think that song is awesome. That song was in my head forever yeah. after the first time I saw it. So, when the rain begins to fall. <laughs> yeah, because then they play it at the end again, too. Because it is, like, it's it's good music. They did not, I mean, they cheaped out on a lot of stuff in this movie, but they didn't cheap out on the music. This is, um, and I guess primarily, I'm looking at the song list, and there's a lot of different songwriters in there. Um, or maybe those are the performers. But there's... There's bands, right? Is it Rima? Was that the name of the actual band that's in the movie? Yeah, Rima is like the Devo-esque space band or alien band. And then I believe the other bands are Mustangs. Yes. I think. It's that's like the 50s though. style. That's the the um, the Diner Boy band, right? Yeah. So they yeah. were my favorite. Mine too. Oh, that song in the malt shop, the, the, the singing and dancing. I mean, it's 50s rock and roll, but it's 
really good. Like it genuinely is good music. Like I'm going to download some of these songs and and keep them. Yeah, I think that that song was called Justine. Yes, Maybe. yes, Justine. <laughs> Did you notice the bar was or it was the the diner was called Local Teenage Hangout? That was the name <laughs> of the actual diner. I love it. I love it. And by <laughs> teenage, we mean like 29, 30, you know. Like, we're all functioning off of, um, like, Stalker Channing, Grease age levels, which is fine. Um, oh, I yeah. realized watching this with Pia Zadora, I'm like, I don't, you know, I know Pia Zadora. Like, she's always been a very kind of more famous person for, for some of the things around her fame, right? That, like, you know, her husband kind of bought the Golden Globe, that she was in a lot of, that they kind of kept trying to make her a star for a while, and then I realized I've seen her in two other movies, which was um, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, which it's very fitting that she's in this movie because then they're, they kind of make a good double. You could do a double feature out of them. And then Naked Gun 33 and a third is the only other thing I think of when I think of Pia Zadora. So shame on me. Now I have like a good <laughs> thing to reference of hers. This is the only one aside from Hairspray I've seen her in, and um, but I remember when I first was doing group watches of of this movie and introducing it to friends, everybody was like so charmed by her, and everyone was like, I can't believe how much I love her in this, and we also have to talk about Craig Sheffer, but (gasps) oh my god, like, they were both like incredibly good looking. Yeah. The outfits are incredible. (laughs) Oh my god, this, I mean, this is pure... Like, it's 1984, so MTV had just launched, and this is the height of, like, teen over-the-top fashion. And, like, a lot of it's ridiculous, but some of it, like, you're looking at it, you're like, you, that should, that's going to come back. Like, that is stylish. Like, you oh, could wear that today. It was, it was legitimately things that I wouldn't look twice if somebody walked by nope. me wearing right now. Yeah. I, I, we all knew it was going to be cyclical, but to live through it is something something else to be like oh yeah that's that's that looks good that's a tight outfit good job guys well and her little um i really like the i remember having these things and never knowing how to use them and i'm like oh that's how you do it it's the little it looks like a tiny little cone that you put in your hair (laughs) and if you have like a lot of hair you can do a like tiny extra ponytail in the front of your head with this plastic thing that kind of looks like a teeny top hat but is actually a ponytail holder i'd forgotten about those those were good times Yeah, bring those back. Yeah, why not? Start a company manufacturing those. Uh, Craig Sheffer. Yeah. Oh, my God. So hot. Stop it. Get the fuck out of here. What's even going on? So hot that I was like, is he ugly or is he hot? Like, transcends hotness to a level that you have to seriously consider where you're at in your life when you see it. How is Um, it that we didn't know? Like, I mean, he's always been a good-looking guy, cast usually as a lead, like, cast as, like, the good-looking guy. But has he ever been hotter than in this movie? I've never seen it. No. Oh. Uh, I took a note on it. I, I said he smolders and he glowers throughout the whole movie. That's his whole. Maybe that's his why. Mood. Yeah. He's smoldering the entire movie. Yeah. And they put a real gaze on him. Like, you know, what you'd say, like a male gaze or a female yep. gaze. I'd say that it really. For sure. The camera was going up and down, rarely wearing a shirt or a complete yep. shirt. Yep. <laughs> and I, don't, I didn't mind it. Well, and actually, now that you said that. There's a lot in this movie because it feels, I mean, this is a very, like, campy movie. And there is, uh, like, there's one moment when um, 
what is it like the the alien kind of uses a trick and and he's trying to get Piazzadora to go for him but instead turns everybody in the diner for him and like all of the dudes are climbing over each other and there's this great line after where the guy's like whoa I didn't know you were into that and the guy's like yeah I didn't either but it it wasn't that it was kind of what what does he say he's like it was kind of nice it was kind of interesting yeah you're like oh this is like this movie I wish it was a little gayer because it's definitely there but I appreciate that it doesn't like it's clearly like it it, it's like yeah well you know enough people are gonna see this and they're gonna be like okay cool well, they definitely the band members of the Mustangs, like, you know, he <laughs> he rips that guy's shirt off at one point. Yes. Like, a lot of random gratuitous male yep. toplessness in this movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Emily, I'm going to counter what you said. Of course, I wish it was gayer, too. But please, make no mistake, this movie is incredibly gay. <laughs> <laughs> incredibly. Though, the, those those band members, and I don't know, they were all different kinds of fabulous. They were yep. all beautiful and handsome and amazing. And the, the fashions, the style, there's a stand-up bass player that every outfit was just a winner. Yes. I don't know. I, I was like, I wish they were the whole movie. And I do love Pia Zadora as well. I do enjoy her. I thought she was good. But every time she was on screen, I was like, I wish those other guys were here. <laughs> well, and the fact that, like, this is very much that sort of Smurfette thing where um, none of the other guys in the band, like, have a girlfriend and it does seem you're right. Like there's like their most important thing is their music and Craig Sheffer. And that's it. And they're hurt when Craig Sheffer seems to disappoint them. So yeah, you're right. Like, like everybody that would have looked at him in this movie, the band was incredibly enraptured by him. And they had to be, cause he was a big jerk. That was like the thing that was awful about him is he has a terrible personality and was super violent and bossy. And I would say sexist cause he didn't want to let DD sing in the band, which was like part of the whole drama. Uh, but they did get resolved kind of nicely if suddenly I think, but uh, you know, when you have those kind of cheekbones, I guess it's hard to say no. Like, and normally I'm somebody that doesn't like, I don't know, like if no matter how good looking you are in a movie, if your character is an asshole, I have a hard time with it. But in this case, I'm like, no, I would, I, I, I get it. I, w- I would still take my shirt off for him and then use it to clean the- his car. Like, like he's, he's a really good looking man in this movie. And it, that's the other thing that's really nice about this is like, he has an arc, right? Like, he, yeah. He actually comes around. And as much as you think this is going to be like a lot of these movies where it's, oh, the alien has come here. The alien falls in love with this woman who, you know, is kind of in love with him at first. And you figure, oh, that's what it's going to be. And and Frank is going to stand there waving his fist as the spaceship leaves. Instead, like, no, she actually goes back to Frank because Frank changes. Like, Frank realizes yeah. that he is wrong, that he should let his girlfriend sing in the band. He tra- he saves her life. And, like, that's that's what I want. I want every, like, jerky, very attractive man to be Craig Sheffer and, and have that awakening in a movie. It's a good thing. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I... I loved how it wasn't, it didn't, it ended up not doing what I expected it to do, yeah. which was like, you know, the alien falls in love with the first woman they see and it, and it works out real, real well for everyone. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I mean, I guess if that's what this is doing, that's fine. It's not really uh, making the argument. It's not really about the narrative, I guess. It's more about the experience and the visuals and the, you know, what's driving it. And then when it's not that, I, I, I was like, oh, okay, this is 
interesting and unexpected and it, it definitely made me more appreciative of the narrative itself as less yeah. of a throwaway second thought to just drive these visuals you know because it could easily have been a very visual driven little vignettes that and that's to me how it started it for a minute I couldn't get my footing I was like yeah who are the characters where are we going is, is it going to be new people every song like what right, are we right. doing here but it settles in I think maybe around like 10-15 minutes it settles in in a really satisfying way where you're just like watching a movie that mm. happens to have these elements which which I really appreciated um about 10 minutes in we paused it I think to like settle in and get like something to drink and I was like I can't believe this has only been on for 10 minutes I feel like this is the only movie I've ever watched <laughs> um, but it stopped feeling that way very yeah. quickly it's it felt more like accessible it didn't feel like some art project which is fine it's fine but that's great but this was also like a movie too which was nice well I think part of it is um and the reason the same that's why I was worried in the beginning is the opening I wish it wasn't Piazzadora in the opening I guess and I I get why because I think in terms of like filming it was like she had a yacht and was friends with Jermaine Jackson so they filmed this song there but it does heard it because you start the movie not knowing who she is because you've already met her in a completely unrelated song and I don't know like that I I kind of wish that wasn't there that we did just start with here's aliens and here's your story because it adds this sort of um like jukebox element that ultimately isn't there so it's Mm -hmm. again like it probably was easier to sell if they were able to say hey Jermaine Jackson cameos in this movie but it it does make it, especially if you're somebody that um, doesn't have the big tolerance for musicals, especially the ones that are nonlinear or don't necessarily tell a simple story, it feels in the opening like this is going to be more experimental than it is. And it's weird, don't get us wrong, but it is a very, I mean, it, it's a story that involves like a Loch Ness monster and an escaped mental patient and a lot of other things, but it actually, it's a very, you know, straight line once you get to it. Yeah, the opening, and I, maybe I'm the only one who thought it was a Star Wars-inspired video. <laughs> I just thought it was, <laughs> I think of those 80s videos where, like, people were putting in kind of a post-apocalyptic and sci-fi yep. elements to their videos. And I thought because of the way the styling of the hair and makeup on the gangs that were, you know, riding on motorcycles through the deserts or the, on the beach and having a fight, I was like, this seems like tattooing to me. I didn't dislike the video. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. I think the choice to open with it is is confusing and kind of like makes you do more work than you should need to in the beginning of this movie. Uh, you're right. The video is amazing, but the placement of it is confusing. Yeah. For sure. And I don't know where else you would have done it. Like, I mean, you could have done like her go like having a fantasy sequence where you see this is what she wants to be doing, like that kind of thing. But it's fine. I'm not picking it apart. I mean, this is, we we still have a song where Craig Sheffer walks around lip syncing to a song called "The Nature of the Beast" with a mountain lion. Like, I've got no problem with that. <laughs> that was one of the best. Ones. Oh my god, that yeah. was where I was like, "This that, is the karaoke that, song that I want to sing." Footage of different mountain lions. Oh gosh, <laughs> I really liked it. Yeah, it did a lot of just like screen fades of like his face into a mountain lion, and you're like, "Ooh, is he going to turn into a mountain lion?" This movie got even better now. And he was doing topless side planks. Oh, gosh, yes. Yep, yep. Yeah, you're right. This movie was really gay, wasn't it? 
Yeah. So when you say like I wish it was more gay, I'm like me fucking too. But also, let's not look the gift horse that we got in the fair, mouth. Fair. I think one of the things that I really appreciate about it that that you were saying too is that I didn't know what was going to happen the mm. first time I saw it, and and I appreciate that about any movie at this point because especially yeah. like I as a like longtime fan of genre movies and cult movies and stuff, I appreciate not knowing what happens next more than I appreciate like let's say quote unquote quality like <laughs> oh, dirty word like, in these parts uh, yeah I can go see a movie that's not considered of good quality but if it gave me something new or mm-hmm. surprised me I'll just be like well but you know what it surprised me and I was entertained then it's I'll, t- I'll take that over you know many Oscar winners yep. so but um yeah that was awesome I there were so many things going on that are funny and, and when you show this to someone for the first time it is a real WTF movie is what I say that, yeah. which is another I love movies like that where you just don't know what's happening for a minute and you're like what what am I watching why is Ruth Gordon windsurfing why is Michael <laughs> Berryman attacking a policeman with a toothbrush what is happening <laughs> well and the uh, I, I want to talk about Alison LaPlaca who oh, so is good. oh now, for me, as soon as I saw her name, I'm like, oh, the John Larroquette show. I, yeah. I, we all have, like, our own random things of, like, actors like that of what we think of them for. And I, I was a huge fan in, like, 19, whatever it was, 1992, the two years that show ran. And she was his girlfriend in season two, which is a lesser season. But it, it's one of those things you see somebody, you're like, oh, I've only ever see them, seen them do this, like, one very normal thing. And now I get to see them do this. And you're like, oh, and her character is so much fun. That's Diane, the best yeah, friend of the Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, she is amazing. Oh, uh, she is, like, I guess what? Like, a, what would you call her, right? Like, a uh, mechanic and, like, yeah. somebody who loves mechanics, who gets mad. She is about to be killed by Michael Berryman wielding a chainsaw, and his chainsaw breaks down, and she's mad that he doesn't know how to fix it. And by golly, she's going to show him how. <laughs> it's really great. They begin a beautiful friendship. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, so um, it's watching wonderful. this. No, no shade to Pia. I mean, I know Pia had a career, but it's kind of obvious why uh, Alison LaPlaca had a for realsies career, uh-huh. like a mainstream sitcom quality level career. She's yeah. like real, real good. Really good timing. Like you yeah, could. She's see, like, so funny. And yeah. Do like doing so much work, but it seems really effortless. Yep. Also, she is, I just found this out, she is the uh, voice to one of my favorite characters in my favorite Batman the Animated Series episode huh. with the baby doll, the little girl who can't get old. If you've seen <laughs> it and cried a lot, like I have. Um, <laughs> that, I didn't realize that that was apparently her, but she has quite the career and, yeah. and, you, and it's cool to see somebody and go like, yeah, I get that. I get it. Yep. I'm glad that worked out for this person because clearly they had it. Yeah, like somebody who, who knows how to work. Yeah. And I love the, like, just the two of them together are a good contrast because Pia Zadora is very tiny. Alison Laplaca is very tall. So there's just like, and the two of them are styled really cute in the 80s. And it's, it's the perfect best friend dynamic. And yet it's a little different because they are very different characters than what you normally get when you get that sort of 80s girl thing going. It's just really oh, yeah. fun. Um, yeah. it, it was the 1980s, so we had a steamroller roll over people and kill them, which happened a lot in the 80s. I don't know if we all remember that. It uh. did. 
it, but I have to pause because it's extremely loud here. But before I do that, I will say somebody had a, a large uh, printer. And even now, it's hard to print that large, that quality. So whoever's industrial printer they had access to, I'm really glad that they used it more than once. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, it's quite a resource. I was really impressed by it. That's a good so, point. Yeah, I'm going to pause because it's loud. No. Oh. Okay. Yeah. The it it is it was what was it that's another naked gun thing that happens. Uh, maximum overdrive. Like we just we really like to steamroll people. Yeah, I think th- this movie and the other one uh, in Speed Racer, uh, I'd say to me they both what one of the things they both share is they have cartoon logic. Yep. Which is you know probably what some of the reasons like I like them and why I brought them up as a cartoonist. You know. Uh, it's fun to see live action movies with cartoon logic when it's done like absurdly enough to work and it so rarely can work. Uh, But one of the things I thought was really funny was one of the gags was, um, you know, when in the beginning of the movie, the robot that's running their ship has to wake them up. Well, they're basically like these little plastic dolls. This is the crew of the ship. And then he puts them through this tube machine. And then when they come sliding out of the tube, they're, full size, you know, yes. walking around, you know, alien beings. So that was hilarious. I think from the start when people are watching the movie, uh, first you're watching the incredible opening, um, <laughs> you know, text blow up into glitter. Then you see this video with Jermaine Jackson. Then you see these dolls go through a machine and pop out yes. and they're there. And then they do a kind of Devo-esque kind of new wave song. And then by that point, it's very disorienting yes. <laughs> in a good way. In a very good way. This this would be really fun to watch at a, at a screening with other people. It because it's it's never boring, um, and it does like you're saying that there's some like visual things that I've never seen before. Like that's one one of my favorite moments. It's I forget which song. I don't think it's Justine. It's another song in um, one of the group places where it opens, and it's like the opening of Footloose, where it's like the feet dancing. Only it's the feet in a bathroom stall. And they oh, all yeah. have their underwear around their ankles, but they're tapping to the music. And it's the, like, again, it's like one of those, like, this is so dumb. And yet it is so funny and cute and weird. And I will never forget that visual of, like, what a smart thing to do to convey, yeah. like, the music is so good that I'm tapping my feet even when I'm taking a shit. That was a, you bring out the lover in me when they yeah. and then what I thought was hilarious was they opened the stalls and on each door is a gigantic pinup photo of Craig. Yes. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's, it's very like, yeah, every, cause even like, uh, Diane, when Pia's the door is like, yeah, I think I'm over Frank. She's like, well, can I date him? And you're like, I mean, come on. You can't say, you got to understand. Like, yes, he's an asshole. He's your best friend's boy. But he's Greg Schaffer with those cheekbones. My gosh. Yeah. I'd only just seen him in um, in Nightbreed and this one. I don't think I've seen him in much others. And I liked him in Nightbreed, but he didn't have that same element. This, uh, this movie definitely shows him off to his yeah. best advantage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So- He's in one of the lesser Hellraiser sequels. I think like four, maybe. Yeah. But man, like he, he had it like, and you can see, like, imagine casting this movie. And again, like the director, it's James Fargo who did, I guess, um, no other movie I've seen. He did the Enforcer Caravans, every which way, but loose is probably his most famous one. 
Um, and then a lot after that, he kind of went to TV primarily. I'm I'm sure I saw the episodes of Beverly Hills 90210 that he did because I've seen every episode of that show. Uh, <laughs> but you can imagine like the casting session where it was just not like the whole come in, take your shirt off, but come in, you see him come in and you can just see the lights going off of like, I just need this face. I just need to put this face in my movie and I will have people remember it and want to see it. Yeah. Some really incredible cheekbones for sure. Seriously. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. I'm kind of surprised also like it's not more known. I know when the Apple was kind of coming around again and people were talking about the Apple, I felt like that would get a lot of word of mouth. This one really when I showed it to people, and most of them were others who are, are kind of in our ilk of, you know, fans of movies, mm-hmm. know a lot of cult movies, and many of most of them hadn't heard of it. So it just must have went out of circulation. Why? Yeah. I, I mean, I guess like you're saying, it wasn't available for a while. You had to work really hard to find it until recently. But why? Like, why does this not come up in the same conversation like, and I mean, I was a fan of um, things like the pirate movie and some of those other not very good, but pretty ambitiously made musicals of this era. And how is it that this one just got nothing? Is it just the studio it was with wasn't one that was that successful? It It's weird to me because it is so wacky. And I don't know why people talk about the Apple so much, but don't talk about this one. Well, I think now it's more available that more people will. I hope so. I feel like if there are Alamo screenings in the future, Mm -hmm. that somebody should do a festival that's like this and Grease 2 and the Apple and Face of the Paradise. And I feel like that would be fun for people. Like, I know that this kind of, this is something I would like to see in a theater with people because it's such a WTF kind of movie where you're just like, what was that? What is happening? Why? Yeah, you want to <laughs> laugh at this with other people around you and and also bop your head and like you want to know that when you go to the bathroom, if you have to use the bathroom during the movie, you are going to be tapping your feet with your underwear at your ankles. Like it's it's that yeah. kind of feeling. Yeah, for sure. It just it's uh really fun. Yeah. So and, and I think that what was interesting is it it had like some sort of social issues, like some of the tech I noticed some of the dialogue later where they talk about a little of the background of what's going on there is that like the town was like their lake was polluted yep. by some fact, you know, toxic factories, which is why this giant uh, monster ends up attacking the school and it just kind of like their economy is bad. Ruth Gordon, the sheriff, the sheriff, like when these psycho killers escape the asylum, go to a gun shop, load up on guns. And uh, grenades, and they were going to go to try to, um, you know, kill people, and they go right by the sheriff's office, and she's waving to them, and yep. she's, like, you know, complimenting their right to bear arms, I'm like, woo! And there's even, <laughs> like, you're right, there's that, there's a comment that, um, uh, Pisa, like, because when the alien is telling Pizadora, like, I'm an alien, she's like, oh, that's okay, like, you can be, you know, I, I can still care about you, it's, uh, you know, like, we'll get your citizenship and all that. And you're right, like, and Ruth Gordon, as the sheriff, is really suspicious of the quote-unquote aliens that have landed, but is totally fine with the human, uh, you know, crazy people buying guns. So you're right, like, there there are, there you could argue that this movie does have things to say. And, like, right down to the fact that Craig Sheffer has a realization that, like, oh, I'm being a toxic dude, I don't need to be such an asshole, I can let my girlfriend be my equal, like... 
there's yeah, yeah th- this is a wonderful movie with it a wonderful really message. is yeah it's, it's quite lovely and and kind of surprising i was i was surprised i <laughs> truly was and i'm so happy you liked it oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, were we able to spoil the ending? I guess we kind of did, but I wanted to like talk about the ending a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, ahead. if yeah, absolutely. If if folks out at home don't want any, like to me, this I don't even know what happened in the movie, so I don't I don't see spoilers. But yes, if you want to watch this fresh, then please, uh, you know, fast forward now to when you hear music for Speed Racer. But Abby, please continue with the details you want to go through. Well, I just want to talk about how the movie is, the ending is like a total, everything is happy, utopian ending. Because what happens is, uh, you know, Dee Dee does not go with the alien because she found out in the uh, alien planet they require emotional, emolumectomy, which is emotion, removal of emotions. <laughs> so then she is immediately checked out there. She was going to go off and then she was like, nope, <laughs> comes back and Frankie becomes nice and or, you know, realizes he was a jerk and, you know, she's with him. But then as the aliens leave, they clean up the toxins in the lake and they do something to make all the people in the band not violent and nice anymore. And then Ruth Gordon is windsurfing on the lake and the monster moves to Loch Ness and wants to move to Loch Ness. And then that is just, like, the most... And meanwhile, singing and dancing is happening Yep. as the music swells and it's like... <laughs> Yeah, it is a feel-good movie. It's very wholesome in a weird way. Yeah, well, it is. It's super wholesome, even though they totally mention sex directly a few times mm-hmm. about it, and then there's sexual aspects to it, and it's got the sexiness of Craig Sheffer, but at the same time, it's actually got a very uh, optimistic, wholesome ending, which I really appreciate yeah. seeing. So, and you could show this to little kids, and they would like. I think You're little gonna- kids would really enjoy this. You're going to get what you get and not get what you don't get. And it's, there's nothing like so bad. Like if you picked up on something, then like maybe you're old enough to understand that joke. Yeah. But yeah, there's nothing like weirdly, there's nothing inappropriate about this. Because if you're old enough to get it, then you're old enough for it not to be offensive. Like if you're young enough, it's just weird and fun and, and like candy colored and not boring at all. It's a good one. Yeah. And there was that one gag that, and this is when the first time I watched it with some friends, we were all waiting for the gag where their robot um, monitor turns into a fire hydrant to spy on them. And we were like, a dog's going to pee on dog's this gonna robot, be on a dog's yep. going to pee on this robot. And then at the end, they just totally reversed the gag. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, it's a good one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad I watched it. And I'm still angry that I'd never heard of it before. So... Everyone, it, it is on Amazon Prime. Um, I don't know if it has like a big deluxe Blu-ray. It totally should. Uh, I guess it did in 2013. There was a two-disc edition put out. I don't know if it's still out, but this is one that I might go ahead and buy because I kind of want to own it. Because that's the one thing about Amazon Prime is sometimes, because the print of this isn't great, but that might just be what you're getting. They might not, not have ever restored it. But this is one that like I could I could watch these music videos again. Definitely. Yeah, probably. I'm thinking probably I started looking for it in 2010 and I wasn't able to find it. And then I forgot about it mm-hmm. and forgot about it. And then I was looking for something, you know, it just came to my mind again. Again, thank you, John Waters, for everything you do. But also, 
for for mentioning this in your book. Now I got to see it. So. Well, he like I I'm I love John Waters. I think we all probably do. And I think one of the things I also love about him is that like I just really like tend to really agree with his taste. Whenever he puts out like his favorite lists of Christmas movies or movies of the year, I'm always like, yeah, yes, same for me, same for me, same for me. So that's that's always a good uh, good sign He's as given well. So much I can only you know mm-hmm. I always try to go to his Christmas shows when he has them, yeah. see him in person when I can. <laughs> Uh, there is uh, the DVD. It, the Blu-ray is nope. The Blu-ray is a region two. So and, uh, yeah, it's, you got to work for it, but it might be out there. But if nothing else, I hope everybody that listens seeks this one out. Uh, do we have any more to say about Voyage of the Rock Aliens? I don't think so. It's real good. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. Christine saying that. Try yeah, to work that's true. Oh. Sorry. That's true. It is me. So I guess that means something, right? <laughs> well, I mean, again, if I said it's a movie that's basically a giant karaoke video, but just the background part of a karaoke video, and it's the greatest thing in the world, like, I I know that what I like, and I like it, but I don't think anybody should ever take my advice for the most part. <laughs> so, but in this case, that's why I'm saying, like, Christine's saying it, too. Yes, I, I think so. Yeah, she actually has good taste, so. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I recommend it indefinitely if you have a chance, if you're doing like a remote group watch with your friends. Yes. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break and come back and tackle Speed Racer. Welcome back, and now we are going to travel forward in time, well, back in time and forward to time, forward in time to 2008, which is back in time from us now, but then forward in time to whatever year this movie takes place, which I don't remember, to 2008's Speed Racer. Uh, I had never seen it. I think I'm the only one of the three who had not only never seen it, but like never seen it many times, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why were you holding out? Uh, I, many reasons. I... <laughs> Didn't, I want to know. Well, okay, okay, we'll talk. Uh, didn't have any connection to Speed Racer the cartoon, so there was nothing compelling me. I am not a big race movie fan. Like, mm-hmm. I just, in general, if I'm going to watch an action movie or a sci-fi movie, that there's a lot of different ways that can go. And for me, cars, never that interesting. I, I now drive a car. Uh for years, I did not drive a car. And even when I drove a car, I'm just not that interested in cars. So all the car stuff, which is what this movie always seemed like to me, like, oh, it's a future action car movie based on a cartoon I haven't watched. Why am I going to watch it? Um, I wasn't, I've only ever seen the first Matrix, so I didn't have that big of a Wachowski connection when this came out. This came out in 2008. 
was notoriously one of those mm-hmm. movies they tried that they thought was going to be a big tentpole movie, made lots of toys, did lots of marketing, and then notoriously did not do very well at all. So it just everything about it just seemed like this. This just is not for me. And I probably would have gone my whole life without ever seeing it. But um, over the last couple years, I have started to hear. I mean, Christine, you've been one person that that said it, but I've heard it also, I think, within film communities where people start have started to talk about this as, no, 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 this was a missed opportunity, that people slept on this movie, um, that it's much more interesting than anybody gave it credit for. So I certainly trusted both of you when you brought this up as a recommend. I said, you know, I've I've always thought... You know, the last couple of years, I thought I should watch this movie and see what what the hubbub was. Um, And so now I finally have. Yay. Now, Christine, you've seen this movie like many a time. Yeah. What is your, what was your like whole journey with it? Um, I, in Paris Cinema Magazine, magazine I used to run, Mm -hmm. we published something back in like 2000 something, I don't know, a long time ago about how this movie was unfairly maligned. And I thought, like, okay, well, let me watch it. And I and I watched it because I used to watch everything that mm-hmm. I would edit for. <laughs> that that's done now. That was a lot <laughs> of work. So, but I watched it and I was like, oh, this is this is really fun and good and pretty and cool. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't understand. Like, to, maybe people just don't get what it's doing. And then it kind of just like that was it. I I I was one of those people that would have would casually say. Oh yeah, it's good. You should watch it. Um, but then I married my husband, and huge Wachowski fan. Uh, I re- rewatched and watched everything. Um, new, fully new appreciation. Mm-hmm. And Speed Racer is one of the f- funnest, fastest moving, literally and yeah. punnily movies. It is. It is over two hours. It flies by. It is so fun. It is so beautiful. It is so expertly crafted. And then on top of it, the fucking narrative. That it it is a it is a movie about family and the importance of family that doesn't make my eyes roll out of my head. <laughs> it is impactful and poignant and beautiful and earnest and sweet and just I think a masterpiece of filmmaking. It's visually stunning with an emotional core that mm. actually hits. I just can't with this movie. It's so perfect. It's it is a perfect movie. <laughs> uh, and Abby, what was your like whole history with it? So I saw it when it came out in IMAX. Wow! I uh, lost my mind for it. <laughs> So I went with my friend and saw it because we had been reading reviews and uh, one of the reviews I read said, it's not doing well. It's probably not going to be in the theater very long, but it's like eye candy. And I was like, well, I want to see eye candy (laughs) in IMAX. (laughs) So we went and I was like, I can't even believe how big these people's heads are just floating (laughs) down forth. I can't even handle it. I loved it so much. Was this in 3D or no? I didn't see it 3D. I don't know if that was an option. Okay. It might have been, but I not. I tend to get headaches at 3D, so yeah, I, I, I like went for the IMAX. But it was just, I was totally blown out of my mind seeing IMAX. I was just, this is amazing. I couldn't even believe they did it. I couldn't, and the fact that it was car racing, which I had no interest in, mm-hmm. at the end of it, I was like, I can't believe they could manage to make the car racing look interesting, and I could follow what was happening. 
with these action scenes of cars fighting basically yep. each other on the racetrack. And they managed to make it like really riveting visually to me and interesting. And I can see what was happening and understand the characters all with the cars and how they would zoom straight on in people's eyeballs while they're driving the cars so you can see their emotions. Yeah. And it, it was really totally groundbreaking. And at the time I just, I think I just was totally, I lost my mind with how psychedelic it was. Like, uh, the way it, the finale, it's like such a visual climax that like, I just, I was spent afterwards by how amazing it looked. And I felt that way every time I see it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, this movie does not look like any other movie, which is a really cool thing to be able to say about a movie. And I think, um, you know, you could, when the matrix came out, it felt really new. And I mean, you can look at it and say, well, a lot of the action had was being done similarly in like in different Asian cinema. But there was something to American audiences that like, oh, this is this is new. This is a new voice. And this is a, this is a movie watching this where you're also happy they made it at this point in their career. Because I mean, I don't think anybody would have given them. It's both a blessing and a curse that they were given this amount of money to make this movie because they needed it and they used it but that also meant this movie was meant to perform in a way that it wasn't going to um which in i don't know in hindsight watching this this i think there's little things about it why it didn't wasn't a commercial hit i think the runtime is one it's two hours 15 minutes which most theaters you know, you you don't want a movie that long because it means you have less movies playing during the day. It does cut into things. If the target audience, and like there's a big chunk of this movie which is kind of about ADD if you look at it a certain way. And you imagine like, oh, right. But the if they're thinking kids are going to sit down and watch this movie that long, are they going to? Truthfully, I think they would because it's so visually meant to keep you involved that you're not getting bored. Um, it's rated PG, which makes sense for the audience they were going with but when you when you look at that kind of with a bit of like a squint you're like there's there's some really extreme violence for a pg movie for this like we have piranhas we have gunshots we have like yeah that there, there might be more than yeah that is, yeah yeah um but it's fine because it's it feels like it's it's made for kind of little boys and that's awesome or little girls or little girls yeah yeah no Children, you're right. no i i mean <laughs> Yeah. Trixie is a great character. Oh, Trixie. Trixie is awesome. Yep. Trixie is never jealous. Trixie is never any lady stereotype that you no, can think she's of. Awesome. Trixie is an awesome, supportive best friend who is also a great partner. Um, I even even Susan Sarandon, the mother character, is amazing. At one point, Pop said, "I married my best friend." About her, it's it's such a beautiful movie i'm gonna start yeah. crying oh, it's I love, beautiful i love it so much i loved it when he said that and actually i watched it this morning and i think it was like the fourth time i've seen it probably i, have the, I bought the blu-ray pretty quick when it came out and that made me cry and like i actually cried up several times watching it this time because there was a lot of it that i didn't um emotionally click with as much later but the, i think that as you get older and especially yeah. you're in the creative industry there um it's about uh, they they correlate racing to being a creative yeah. person as art and, and and you know the whole uh, understory of it is just kind of about capitalism and, and trying to create your art 
under that yeah. and the battles that result in it and the things you sacrifice or don't sacrifice and what you're trying to do. And it really makes uh, me as a creative person tear up watching that play out. Yeah. No, you're right. That's that's a really – there's so many layers to it. And, I, and part of the reason why I, again, had never thought to seek it out was – I'm not interested in racing. I don't need to watch a movie aimed at kids about racing based on a cartoon. Like all of these things are ingredients for a movie I would not ever sit down to watch. But you're right. Aside from the visual element, which is unlike anything in the world, it is very much a metaphor for a lot of other things. And it's not clumsy and it's not um, – it, it, the, the story of it could have been very – uh lazy isn't the word like it just could have been like too too much of something or too hackneyed or too too this too that and it's it's not it's a really nice balance and it gives you so many characters that you do really care about and understand their relationship with each other i mean i think that's the the thing is for me at least it's not necessarily about like the synopsises of a wachowski's movie it's the it is the movie like i don't care what they make a movie about i want to see that movie because it's gonna speak to me because their their aesthetics their point of view their what the messages that like the the messages they're trying to get across are things that i that speak to me so i don't care what packaging it comes in and Mm -hmm. it's rare to inexciting to find a filmmaker or you know a writer Somebody who who you don't care what they're presenting to you, but you trust them. You yeah. know they're going to present something good. So I and I do actually like racing things. Like I love Death Race, and I like it's it's fun and ridiculous. Wacky Racers. Like I grew up watching that. So I like the racing stuff. I don't necessarily have a connection to Speed Racer. So like the racing thing wasn't that off putting. But then even if you look at something like Jupiter Ascending, not to turn this into Wachowski cast, but <laughs> Jupiter Ascending, fine if it does. A lot of people don't like, but like. I don't know. It's real good. I, <laughs> I, I, don't, it. I don't care what movies movies these people make anymore. I don't care. Give it to me. Put it in my eye holes because that is the amount of trust I have. Um, and and because the, they, they did this with Speed Racer as well, there is absolutely more there than yeah. like like cars going around the track. Even yeah. the... The, the races themselves are really, they tell a story. They're very narrative and it, they are easy to follow and they, they are dynamic and exciting. That last race, there's a point in that last race where it like you jump up. It's so exciting. It's so exciting and satisfying. And in the relate, the relationship between, between speed and his brother it's, is really, it's really sweet. sweet. Yeah. And, it's really earnest and it and it and i get it like some people hate earnest stuff and they think it's corny and they think that earnest things are a sign of something being bad and 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 that's hard for me to deal with i i hate when i see that when somebody's like this was bad and i was like actually it was just really sweet or it was really like earnest and open and and available to you and you didn't like it because it wasn't mean and that does happen but it bums me out because like what's wrong with something being earnest and sweet yeah well and it's it's important because i think the other part to where this movie could have gone wrong is if you didn't have any connection 
because then you are just, and I'm trying to think like I'm going to throw out a movie that visually is not similar but kind of has shares some col- color choices I guess and that is Ron Howard's The Grinch right think back to the Jim Carrey <laughs> Grinch movie uh, mm-hmm. couple which I think was what 2001 somewhere around there um, where it is so visually over the top and it's so committed from the beginning of we're in a different world we need to make you remember we need to always make you think you're in a different world we don't so nothing everything is going to be at an 11 everything is going to be a visual that you haven't seen before uh it's got to be loud it's got to be big we're appealing to a young audience let's do it and it's insufferable because it's there's no charm to it and there's no connection to anything and you take this which has a similar um kind of visual goal in a way where I do feel like the Wachowski sat down and and they said, we want to visually tell a story in a way that you haven't seen done before, right? We want to make a live action cartoon. And like, you can say, oh, like the mask is a live action cartoon, or like you can pull other movies that you have that have cartoon elements, but this is, no, we want to put you in the headspace, in the, the energy of what it's like to live in a cartoon world. Everything moves faster, everything is bigger, everything is occasionally louder, but it's just, there's always things going on. And that could have been completely painful if done wrong, but it's not because they do balance it. They do find that human element that makes you invested in these people and care about them. And like, there's times when it, it gets a little bit kind of, like the little brother character, um, a bit much for me. <laughs> I love a monkey right. movie. <laughs> love a monkey. Always happy when a monkey shows up. Could the monkey have been the brother instead of the actual kid being the brother? That would be my request. <laughs> you could have two two chim chims. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I thought was funny, like a good visual joke, is that they had Spritel and Chim Chim in their pajamas and Spritel <laughs> had monkey pajamas or chimpanzee pajamas and Chim Chim had child <laughs> A pattern on yes. his pajamas and that was so cute to me oh yeah there's so many like little visual jokes within it that that's re- and again it's like if you're doing a cartoon you can do that because you know it's different amount of energy and 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 budget and such to draw something versus having to uh, have a costume designer go and, and make that fabric for this scene but they do it here and that's why it costs 120 20 million to make but it pays <laughs> off for people like us who actually enjoy it yeah, even from the beginning, I get excited looking at the opening uh, logos and the credits because from the beginning, and if you're seeing an IMAX, I remember it is techni- it is a rainbow, a neon, in your face, everything sparkling, moving as yep. quickly as possible, and that's what the racetracks look like, you know, and, yeah. and that takes you immediately, and then, you know, and it's it has a lot of flashbacks that are worked into the races, yep. but it works. I feel like it would be really hard to make that work, but to me it worked, and that's complicated. That is really good storytelling, the way they do that, because it would have been easy to just make it linear and start with this and then do it 10 years later, but they don't, and they never stop and really explain it. They never have to say, well, remember what happened to your brother, cut to what happened to the brother. Like, no, 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 it's their interwoven and part of it is, I think, because um, like the casting is good. I don't, and, and I'm curious where you guys land on this. Um, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, like, Christina Ricci is great in this because I love what she's playing the cartoon. Like, she's playing it big. She's playing it with this, like, 
wide-eyed, I know I'm elevated and I'm going for it and it's adorable. Everybody else I feel like is doing something similar except for Emil Hirsch. I don't like Emil Hirsch in this. I, I am believe... so glad you said that. Okay. I believe they're cho- – well, I don't like Emil Hirsch. Well, period. that too. Yeah, he's kind of an asshole. Uh, so uh, – but I, I believe that he is making choices. I believe that he is making choices. I don't believe that he didn't get the memo or didn't understand. I believe he's making choices, and I don't like his choices. He's playing I, it so straight. I like little speeds. Oh, yes. That little kid's a great. A lot. Yeah. But, and I think Lil Speed is, is playing it kind of small, too, in the face of everyone playing it really big. Like, everybody's playing it really big. And and I think that that works because you kind of need that grounding. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that if Emil does it real well, um, because I I don't like Matthew Fox at all. Um, and seeing him makes my teeth hurt. But he's in he's so good in this. He's yeah. And I, I so normally good. don't love him in anything, and this is right yeah. around the time of Lost when he was kind of doing the same thing. Yep. But he's doing something different here, and he's doing it like like he's he's playing the cartoon to an extent. Yep. And he's he plays small to a degree sometimes. He, there's range to the performance, yeah. and I think him being able to do it and me not liking him shows that it's it, th- there is something more going on with yeah. Emil's performance. It's not. I, I don't. I don't ever forget that I'm looking at Emil Hirsch. If yep. that mm-hmm. makes sense, like I yeah. never go like. Wow, speed! I go like this guy playing Speed Racer. I guess is doing what everybody else is. Maybe, I but don't he's know. not, like, and that's what I think bugs me is like the scene, an early scene with with him and Christina Ricci, where they're just they're they're giving two wildly different performances, where mm-hmm. she is in the world, and so is John Goodman, and so is Susan Sarandon, and everybody mm-hmm. is is big. And he's not. And on one hand, you could say, oh, well, maybe, you know, and he, he could have been directed that way. The Chowskis may have said, like, look, you're the grounding force. We need you to play it earnestly while everybody else goes big because you need to be that force. But it doesn't work. And part of it is, I think, and I wonder how much of it is, I know Emil Hirsch is is an asshole. And so I'm not naturally going to like him. And it makes it that much harder when he's supposed to be the likable, like, sweet kid. And I... You, you got to be really good. Like, I can think, like, I can watch a, I don't know, uh, like, there's other actors who are terrible people, and I can buy them playing good people. With him in this, it's just, there's, there's I don't know, yeah, yeah, you're saying he's making choices, and I just don't see choices. They just kind of flatlines for me. Well, I think his choices to be small, he yeah. just can't do it. That's very, I mean, I'm making huge assumptions, but that's what it looks like to me is that I am going to be this, this, aw, shucks, hapless guy to a degree. I mean, he's a much more informed character than that, but this like well-meaning heart of gold kind of kid, but I don't know that that's at all. I don't know that it works. (laughs) I I see the intention, but it doesn't pay off. I think because... I read on, you know, I was looking at IMDb about it and I guess, you know, this had been in production for a super long time or you know the idea to make this movie was going around for a really long time so i guess keanu reeves might have been you know considered for speed or joseph only yeah joseph gordon would have been good yeah joseph would have been good and also for racer x it said henry rollins and nicholas cage were (laughs) badass now that would have been better i will say 
the I think um, because Scott Porter plays uh, the brother to an extent. Uh, Scott mm-hmm. Porter, I think of you look at him and you're like, oh, he's the perfect guy to cast as the big brother because he just has that very like handsome American, all of that. And he's like, I know him as Jason Street in Friday Night Lights. And I think that was a problem. It was I'm like, you know, if they had cast like I can't remember the actor's name, but the kid who plays Michael Saracen, like that would have worked because there's like charm there. So then I was in my head like recasting it as I watched, which is you know my problem, not the movies. <laughs> but I liked I, I like Rain and I yeah. liked uh, uh, other cast and just even the surrounding people. Like some of these shots are just the most beautiful shots you're gonna see. And even yep. though I don't know who it was, but. They, you know, that opening shot for the um, the Costa Cristo race where they have the queen come out and open the race, mm. that to me just takes my breath away, that scene. And yeah. it just they just really went out of the way to, you know, hire everyone who could look as good as possible or look <laughs> as interesting as possible. Right, like street. Art LaFleur shows up for a half yep. a second. Love e it. Honda from Street Fighter, the movie, is there just with no lines, but he's there. And you're like, yeah, do it. Yeah, it just, it, it is really eye candy. It is really like, I said, my eyeballs felt so satiated after this. <laughs> so good. I will say I got mad because I thought to myself at one point, man, imagine if the Rollerball remake, like, was made this way or with this energy. Like, what a different world we'd live in, you know? Yeah. Imagine if competent filmmakers who care about what they're doing made every movie. And, and made the big ones, right? Made the ones that cost $130 million. Yeah, like it's true. This movie was not made by committee. No. And, and, and I'm not going to get on a soapbox about how most tentpole movies now are. They need to please everybody. Yep. They need to make the most money. And they need to please everybody. I get that this is a bit of a risk, but when you allow <laughs> filmmakers who have a vision to make something in their vision, you have to know that some people are going to not like it. And I would rather, and I, to me, that's art. I believe yeah. this is truly art because it is divisive. You, If you like it, you get it and you get something from it. And not everybody has to like it. But when you dump, when a studio dumps this much money into something, they want everybody to like it. And that's just not, the way to approach making something yeah yeah it it i'm glad i got to see it on the big screen and i have the blu-ray but it is i do feel disappointed that it didn't do better for them because of you know obviously i'm glad people keep on giving the wachowskis opportunities (laughs) Mm -hmm. like like when jupiter ascending uh, was coming out i immediately the same friend that i saw speed racer and imax with i was like we have to see this immediately it probably (laughs) it's not gonna last (laughs) yeah they do. They kind of have that, like, John McTiernan luck of, like, making really bomb after bomb. Because after The Matrix, very few of what they made were big, were commercial successes to the ambition that they were made with. Right? V for Vendetta does, I think, okay, but not um, not where the studio or critics thought it would be. Uh, Cloud Atlas is kind of a kind of a bust in some ways. Yeah. Like they Jupiter Ascending was again like was not as badly reviewed, I think, as some of their other stuff when it came out. Like I remember from the beginning, critics saying, "No, Jupiter Ascending is actually kind of fun," but it just same thing where it was like, "Oh, this is not." I remember watching, seeing like the trailer for it. And I'm just thinking, nope. Like at some point, they're going to stop getting chances, and you know that doesn't. I, I think they're they're canny enough, and they're also um, like they're not that they've like they 
how do you say it? They have such a a presence and position that I think even though any studio has to know that like we're not going to get what we want from them, we're going to get what they want. Um, I'm glad that they're still getting the chances to do it. Well, and Sense Eight also. I don't know if you've watched I Sense Eight. Not. It's it's really it's hard to explain, but the, watching it, there are moments where I'm like, well, I've never seen that before, and and that's yeah. what I want to see, you know. And I think that that's what I love about seeing things by Wachowski is I'll be like, well, I've never seen that before. I hadn't thought I'd ever see that on TV before or considered it even. Yeah. You know, and well, and oh, yeah. they, what are they yeah. doing now? Like, they don't seem to have... Matrix, man. They, they are doing... No, but not... Both well, of them aren't credited. Only, no, I think, Lana is. Um, Did they split up as a filmmaking pair? I honestly don't know the details about about the, the Matrix, um, the new Matrix movie. I kind of am not paying attention to it on purpose because I don't mm-hmm. want to know anything. I Again, I'm extending trust. Yeah, it's um, only Lana directing that one, by the way. Interesting. And I don't care. I have a lot mm-hmm. of trust, so I don't. I don't know why that is. So, uh, listeners, if you know, tell <laughs> or or don't uh, tell you, right? Or don't tell me. Wait until after it's out and then tell me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I hope it's more stuff, and I assume that people that seem to not be able to stop telling stories aren't going to stop telling stories. Yeah. I want more, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm excited for the Matrix. It's super interesting, and just all the work that was done. Because since I had the Blu-ray, and this time I watched the some of the extra features, which I didn't before, and like they designed 200 logos just for the race car logos, and they designed <laughs> 800 the designers who like um, John Gaeta and Don Glass. I hope I'm pronouncing their names. That they were credited for visual effects. So I, I really felt when this came out that it should have won Oscars oh, at yeah. least for the visual effects. Yeah. I can't believe it didn't. Like, yeah. it's shocking to me. Yeah. Because watching it even now, it's incredible what happened here and what they did. And, and um, you know, also in the Blu-ray, it was saying that the, the cameras they used were, you know, prototype HD cameras. Yeah. They weren't even on the market yet because they wanted, you know, it as HD as possible. So they were really making something as high-tech as they could. Yeah. No, it's, it is... And that, I mean, I guess that happens sometimes, especially at the Oscars, where they voters can't see beyond the uh, their perceived quality of the movie to see other aspects of it. Like sometimes you'll get, you know, the movie that's nominated for a Razzie and an Oscar the same year, but rarely is it in different categories, which should be happening, right? Like I guess, like was it Norbit was nominated for best makeup? It should have been nominated yeah. for best makeup. Who cares if it was a one star movie? If it had great makeup, it should win an Oscar for great makeup. And the same with this movie, where I mean, you could say like it is all CGI, but it is CGI in a way that you've never seen before, and that's important filmmaking, and that's you know something that can't be understated. The um, yeah, totally. yeah. Uh, watching this. I don't know if either of you felt this way. Um, not many people look like Susan Sarandon or Christina Ricci because they both have very distinct faces and features. But the two of them should be playing. Like, how has nobody ever cast them as mother and daughter? Because, like, don't they look like they could be? If you gave them both the same hair color, wouldn't you believe that they were mother daughter? I mean, maybe. Yeah. yeah. All right, fine. Yeah. Clearly, you don't. Whatever. Fuck well, you. No, I. I 
I think that Susan Sarandon looks a lot like my mom, Aww. and I think that I look like Christina Ricci, even though I don't. So there you so, go. I mean, truly, you really have connected some dots. Did you see the other dot connecting? That's kind of the cutest thing in the world. Um, so this uh, got from the IMDb trivia, but once I looked at it, I was like blown away by it. Um, young Trixie is played by Ariel yep. Winter from Modern Family, and she's so cute and adorable and tiny in this. And in real life, she is the younger sister of the actor who played Pugsley in the Adams Family movies. Oh, I didn't. That's cute. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> she so, was very cute. She's very cute in this, and like, uh, the scenes of them as kids is fucking adorable. Yep, I love that. Like yeah. the opening scene with it, where the animation starts kicking in, where he's fantasizing, but it's in a crayon style. Yep. That's like where the movie really starts kicking in for the viewer because first you're just you know, kind of watching it start. And then all of a sudden you're, you're like, Oh, I'm in another totally psychedelic world here. This is yep. not, you know, reality. And that's fine. You know, it's like they did something really innovative. Yeah. And it, it's fun because they, they, I like the way they sort of do it as if what you're seeing from the beginning, Oh, it's so crazy and colorful because you're seeing this little boy's point of view, right? You're seeing, him sitting in class and I love the scene where he's taking a test and it's just boring and his scantron is saying like I forget what it's saying but it's something like this is boring this is boring this is boring and so when he looks out the window and when he gets in his brother's car and it's all candy colored and you're like oh right because it's it's it, it, we're inside of his brain but then the way they sort of bridge that to like yes you're right that is his brain but now here's the rest of the world and it's kind of you know early 2000s Tim Burton except in a way that doesn't make you want to like stab your eyeballs constantly. And it works. <laughs> it works. And there's a monkey and piranhas. I love a piranha scene. Yeah. I, um, I love all like the super mustache twirly villains. Yep. It's all over the top and really fun. Um, yeah. I, we, we, I'm, I have said so much, but Royalton is like my favorite character he's so oh. evil and his super long monologues uh, <laughs> about about like how evil he is is like my favorite he's just so good i could stare and, and i could stare at him deliver like the, the world's longest monologue forever you realize how long he's going on at one point and it's like i don't <laughs> care it's just so compelling yeah it more. i agree i think that the way it, it struck a good tone i think yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it is a really clear-cut villain that has more to say than just being bad. Like, there, there is... And you could read that into a bigger story of the Wachowskis' career and them, you know, answering to a studio head and working around that and not compromising in the way they do that. And it's, it, it, there, it's, it's thoughtful and yet also sweet and also really, really cool to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking that too. It was like what I was saying about how art and racing was sort of conflated here and where Royalton's character is like, it isn't actually about art. It's about money. Yeah. And that's what we're making here. It is not art. And I could totally see how that's how film studio heads are looking at things or that's how, you know, race car, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, to you, it's you're making art, you're making a thing, but actually we're making money here and like that's where you sit here and that's what we're making. And it's interesting to see that point of view. It's so blatant, yep. but it's, you know. Does that, know. or I, I don't know if either of you have any familiarity with the cartoon. Is, is that an aspect of it or not at all? 
Oh, you know, I never saw that much of the cartoon. I don't think it really is, but to, to be honest, I'm not very familiar with it. I okay. just saw bits of it when I was a kid, mm-hmm. so I wasn't like a fan of the cartoon, but I knew from the opening, and that was one of the really fun things about this movie, is that they did some literal, you know, from the opening where they have him leap out of the car and the car turns, and there's that really cool point of view, and it's just right from the cartoon, and it's so cute. I like that. Yeah. And yeah, one other thing I thought was funny visually they did was at the uh, well, we're spoiler. I mean, we didn't talk about the plot at all. Yeah, <laughs> they got it. It's there's races, speed. There's a monkey. Here's what a more? Spoiler: He wins a race and yeah. uh, he drinks some milk and he kisses Trixie and, and there's flash bulbs popping in the background and when they're kissing they turn to hearts and I was like, oh. Y'all, one thing I will say, I, it's the, he drinks milk, which is really cute because he's supposed to be all innocent and it's fine. But then when like, is it Sparky takes the milk and I don't know, man, like I'm, I, Christine probably has even a bigger problem with this, but what? like drinking milk and like, like in a sexy champagne way, but it's milk. No, 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 <laughs> but no, no. isn't no. that how races really end? Isn't that real? Did I make that up? Oh, if I did, just no one listened to me. Edit that out. <laughs> no, I feel like that's right. Like, you know, <laughs> when a baseball team wins, they, they spray champagne over them or they, they dump Gatorade over the coach. But fucking milk, man. No. But isn't it, no. Isn't it milk? And, I'm going to Google something. But also, oh, races? you know that Is I it? find it sickening um, when anybody drinks milk. I know, but, but that, I don't. So, but I do I when people pour it over that. themselves. I think that's different. No, that's real. That's real. Is it really? I think. Is that a thing they do? Ew. Why do they drink milk after a race? I I don't mind them drinking it. I mind them pouring it over themselves as if it's sexy. I think. So who's going to look it? Let's be real. No one should be chugging that much milk after that much stress. Oh, God, you're right. (laughs) Do race car drivers celebrate? Speaking of race cars, it's extremely loud over here right now. Oh, jeez. they just pour it over themselves because it's like, mm, look at it, I'm celebrating. Uh, milk. But also milk. You're right. The Indy 500 winner pours milk over his head or her head. Really? Ooh. I, See, know, I didn't think I was there. God, that's disgusting. Ew. Why do, but, why do people like cars? So gross. Well, oh, well, you just made a huge leap. Right? Well, I'm just saying, like, it's all part of that. Like, why, like, I don't know, like in baseball, it's just champagne and that washes off easily, but milk doesn't. I really thought that was a gag for the cartoon. I was like, I was imagining, oh, they must be in champagne because it's a cartoon movie. They're talking about milk. But if they really drink milk, that's new information to me. Wow. Ew, you can like Google image race car drivers and milk and it is not pretty. I I didn't think I was making it up, but it does seem so absurd that the second I said it out loud, I was like, oh, no, I'm wrong. Oh, no, no. you're so right, Christine. No, I, just, I laughed at that in the movie because I thought it was a joke. Oh, wow. Right, like, oh, he's well, so pure, he's <laughs> drinking milk. Exactly. Well, you know what Also, what I was thinking also, uh, Fury Road came up to me because that was the other racing movie I've seen that is very exciting to me from start to finish. And I feel like it would be kind of interesting if somebody did a, a, a you know, double feature with these mm-hmm. because they're both like, you are your mind is stimulated from beginning to end with nonstop excitement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they would make a good pairing and they're, and both have, you know, political undertones. So it, it's all fitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could. Oh. I'd probably put speed racer afterwards though. So you'd feel like a pick me up. Well, I mean, technically you... spoiler alert, Fury road does have an uplifting ending, right? Yeah. And less I think pearls. you probably need a nap in between them, though. Yeah. Fair, fair. Yeah. This, this is like, 
it's funny to think like of the people I know that I would recommend this to and the people I know who would, I would absolutely wouldn't. Cause any, it, it's like one of those movies that, you know, you're like, you know, I know this person is not going to handle this kind of movie or they're going to start this movie. They're going to say, no, thank you, sir. And walk away. And cause it is polarizing. It's you're either going to fall into it or not. But I will say for me being somebody that this movie kind of had an uphill battle for, just because of all the things I said of why I never wanted to watch this movie. And yet within 10 minutes, I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get why people love it. It's good. It's damn good. Yeah. In the cartooning community, almost everyone I know and I'm friends with like really love this movie. Uh, Like I think in the creatives community, a lot of people, but especially for comic book artists, because there is that really, you know, it is based on a, you know, animation Mm -hmm. and, they really captured something in a very special way that was groundbreaking visually. Well, and you think of how many movies have tried to do that. Like obviously we've had comic book movies since we had comic books and most of them have not really like, I mean, some of them have certainly found their visual thing. Right. And, but the problem is when you aim high and, and don't reach it, it just, it can be unwatchable or you you try for it and then it just becomes like a, like a Dick Tracy where you see it, you get it, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, they're doing the comic book thing. Great. This is a, a very particular aesthetic. Okay, they did that. Who else can do it? And this is one that does it in a really innovative way. And I, I can't think of another movie that that gets it quite like this does. And I, again, I say this as somebody who's not an anime fan and who doesn't read comic books very often. Um, where this, I feel like as an outsider that this is doing that. Um, and it's not alienating to me. It's really fun. It's cool. It's, it's all those things. And I think Christine liked this one too, but I like Birds of Prey a lot last mm. year. That's one of the things mm-hmm. that, one of the last movies I saw in the theater. Oh. And, and I think that that was something that is also polarizing movie there's some people i know who like really didn't get into it at all and i'm not a huge um superhero comics follower these days at all but i'm like to me this is what a harley a visual harley quinn movie should look like yeah. and is is the spirit of it to me yep but other people have different ideas of what the spirit of the characters and the comics are but to me i'm like yeah this is perfect for what it should be and others really didn't feel that way <laughs> but, Great. um I just want to go and have fun and see something that uh, tells me a story I'm interested in. I feel like Speed Racer does that. So. I would agree. Yeah. I, I am really glad I finally watched this. Yay. Yeah. I'm glad we're all on board. <laughs> we're on the Speed Racer train. What a successful ride from, from 1984 to 2008. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And these paired together well, too, because they both have that kind oh, of zany for sure, energy. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, they both had cartoon logic. A lot of mm-hmm. stuff happened that didn't make any sense. Like, the, the Speed Racer, like, the physics of it, it doesn't make any sense. No. Like, the cars are flipping around, they're floating around, they're doing all this crazy stuff, but I can believe it and follow it, and it's fun. Yeah. And in Voyage of the Rock Aliens, people get flattened by bulldozers, and then they get... Their heads completed. blow off, and they get re- rebuilt. Yeah. <laughs> These things happen. Totally. Totally. <laughs> all right. Do we have any more to say about Speed Racer? It's really good. You should watch it if you if you haven't yet. Give it a shot, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recommend it. And if in the future, when somebody out there has the power to program IMAX theaters for yeah. stuff, I think that someone really needs to do like an IMAX um, 
revival of this one. I'd agree. Yeah, this would be a really fun one to see on a gigantic screen. Definitely. Awesome. It is not streaming anywhere right now. Uh, I rented it in high def from Amazon Prime. It looked great. Um, I'm sure the Blu-ray or HD Blu-ray is even better. So, you know, worth adding to your collection. But good times. Good times. If if you're going to watch it, turn off the lights, get a big screen, do as HD as possible. I get a lot of candy. Um, part of it is that like the little brother who I, I kind of couldn't stand, but I understand he was, had a place in this movie, um, is like very candy obsessed. There's a lot of scenes that are very, very Willy Wonka-esque. So much candy. So much candy. Yeah. It made me want candy. And yeah, I'm not a big candy uh, person. Have yeah. some candy. Have some candy. It's a big, bright, sweet, unapologetic, fun ride. Um, yeah. Eat candy during it. It feels like it's what the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Tim Burton version should have Yeah. Oh yeah. Imagine, imagine if they made that. Imagine. (sighs) Now I want them to do like a Roald Dahl novel. Yes. Yes. Give them the rights. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, that was Speed Racer. Before we leave you, we are going to leave you with a few things, starting with some streaming recommendations. Uh, Abby, did you have anything streaming on any of the millions of different places people stream movies to recommend? Yeah. So. on Hulu, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark nice. is on there, and I do love that movie. And then also The Final Girls and Rocky Horror Picture Show is also on there. So those are always good. Mm-hmm. And I have the Criterion Collection. I really One of my very favorite movies is Haosu um, by Nobuhiko Obayashi. So if you have the Criterion... Uh, uh, how soon is good <laughs> that's that's one that uh, remember we were talking earlier about like showing a movie to your part like recommending something to like your partner and not know if they're gonna like it and I think that was like the first time Brent my now husband like came over and it's like let's watch a movie I'm like we're gonna watch how soon <laughs> so he mm-hmm. really f- had to figure out what he was getting into with that one Oh, yeah, I actually had to go through, uh, like, I, I, I basically sprung it and brought my husband to see it without telling him. Like, I was like, hey, let's go see it. It's just a Japanese art film. It's, it's you know, you'll like it. You don't need any contacts. Just sit down. Let it wash over you. It's all good. I think everyone, you know, can get something out of it. Yeah. And then you said Final Girls. Christine, you have an article about Final Girls, do you not? Yeah, I recently wrote about Final Girls over at Certified Forgotten. It is uh, one of my favorite films, period. I love it to death. It's so good. Yeah. You should read your article, which is so good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Christine, what are you recommending to the fine people at home? So it's on Crackle or Plex. I think it's on Plex. It's on one of the free streaming channels okay. i guess is what cool. we call them um and it is called it is a movie called population 436 okay. um i saw starring, this years ago this is jeremy yeah, sisto right jeremy sisto and fred durst and i recently <laughs> went on Forgot the certified that. forgotten podcast and Ooh. talked about it and uh it is shockingly good uh, even even more so in hindsight i remember really liking it when i watched it a million years ago but re-watching it i was like Emily, I said a million times on on the podcast, this is like the best episode in a season of Masters of Horror. This is the yeah. best episode of of Fear itself. It 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 very much felt like a made for TV because the the woman who directed it does a lot of television. I think she cut her teeth in television so it feels TV, but like in a good way, like in a really familiar, comforting 
like weird it's like folk horror-y more so than uh-huh. i remember it's I, I so i if you if you watched it back in 2000 something and remember it it's out there for free rewatch it if you've never seen it and you're looking for something maybe a little cheap maybe a little unrefined but like at its core really fun and really good i mean you could do worse than jeremy sisto and fred durst <laughs> i i'm one of those people who watched it a million years ago and I remember really loving the concept because it's it's also very Shirley Jackson. Like, it's very The Lottery, yes. right? It feels like The Lottery. Yeah. It feels like the Dan Cortez made-for-TV movie of The Lottery. Totally. With, uh, with Felicity. <laughs> with, uh, what's her yeah. name? Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I should rewatch it because it's been years. And I remember thinking, oh, it's not quite as good as its concept. But I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a different decade than I was back no. then. And you're not wrong. It, it it isn't. But also, we've seen and not to sh- be shady towards anything else coming out, but we've seen the quality and the mm. level of craftsmanship that other things get passed off. Yeah. And you're like, and and this is this still is very it's very fun and very nice. good and clearly like made with care, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Yeah, I'm gonna rewatch that. Um, my streaming recommendation is also a rewatch and it's, I haven't rewatched it. I just saw it. it here's what happened. I, I was trying to figure out, I'm like, what am I going to recommend? I don't know. Like there's nothing I've watched recently that I necessarily kind of pairs with anything that I, I want to put out there. But then I was thinking, I'm like, Art LaFleur. Oh, Art LaFleur. Hey, what was that movie that Christine told me to watch with <laughs> Art LaFleur that I watched and I'm like, holy fuck, this is great. And nobody ever talks about it. And is it streaming? And it is streaming on Amazon Prime. And that is House Hunting. I knew you were going to say that. Yes. House Hunting is such a weird movie. And it's, but here's the thing though. It's weird. But if this movie came out today on Shudder or on Netflix, everybody would be talking about it for 10 minutes. And because it came out in, like, 2013, I've never heard anybody but you talk about it. And it's really good. It's Art LaFleur and Mark Singer from Beastmaster, who I still have a crush on today. Uh, Very smart man, if you've ever heard him, like, in interviews. Like, really... And also, um, Laurie Singer's brother, which I didn't know, and I think everybody should know, because I did not know that. So... Um, it's him and his family and Art LaFleur and his family are both come to an open house and basically they get stuck in the open house and it's very not Groundhog Day. It's all of these like things that other movies have since done and keep doing. And now we all watch those movies and talk about them forever, but nobody talks about this movie and it's really good. Yeah. Where is it streaming? Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's on Prime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really like it. house hunting. It's so good. And I just want more people to remember that. So that's how I feel about that. <laughs> now, before we go, I want to make sure everybody knows where to find Abby and where to find her book and anything else she wants people to find. Oh, yes. So uh, online, I'm Abby Denson. So my website's abbydenson.com and my Twitter and Instagram are also at Abby Denson. And that's A-B-B-Y, like Zoe Abby, not Abby Road. Uh, or Abby Cadabby, the Muppet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Kitty Sweet Tooth is the book and it's out April 6th, but you can pre-order it now at anywhere books are sold. And uh, it's out from First Second, which is a, an edition of McMill- from Macmillan. It's a graphic novel. And uh, I think everyone will enjoy it who enjoys movies, cats, cute things, fun stuff. I think you'll like it. 
Go get it. It's wonderful. We all recommend it. Uh, Christine, you were on an episode of Certified Forgotten. Where else? What other things in the world are you doing? Uh, That's about it. Um, I... Did, recently did that episode. You can go to Certified Forgotten or wherever you get podcasts and look for the Population 436 episode or follow me on Twitter at xteen underscore makepeace and I say things that I'm doing all the time on there. I might start a newsletter. Ooh, I, I like that. Yeah, I might. If yes. I do, I'll say something here. I like what you have to say and I will subscribe to your newsletter. Oh my gosh, thank you. That's yes. lovely. Wonderful. All right. What are you doing, Emily? Uh, nothing new. Same old, same old. You know, just living my best life as they do. Uh, yeah, no, you can still read my stuff at DeadlyDollsHouse.com or find me on Twitter at DeadlyDolls. And, of course, we encourage everybody to join our Facebook group, uh, Feminine Critique, I think is what our Facebook group is, um, where we sometimes talk about things if you'd like to, or follow us on Twitter, which where we almost never talk about things because I forget about it. But this is my bi-monthly reminder to do something on Twitter at Ooh. Feminine Podcast, I believe. Is what, right? That's it. That's what we are on Twitter. I think, that I right? think that's what it is. Okay, yeah. good. Good, good, good. Just checking. Great. All right. On that note, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll be back at some point to talk about a whole lot of other stuff. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.